Well, I'm like Paul at the very beginning. Uh, and by the way, if, 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 if you uh, got here after the first song, I'm sorry. You missed it. It was great. It was great. Um, but you also failed to hear uh, Paul talk about the, the demon that is known as Paulin. And um, it, it's got me. So uh, here we go. And here we go. Now we're ready to go. Um, I have to have both of these. Uh, right here near me today, so forgive me, and, and it, I'm, I'm serious about it, you know, put it up here as a joke, but I'm serious, I have to have it. So welcome to Tri-Cities Church, my name is Jamie, and I'm one of the pastors here, I'm the, the pastor over community life, and kind of the associate, and uh, Wesley is, and, and Kim are taking a break, they're worshiping somewhere else this morning, and uh, we'll be back with us next week for Easter Sunday, for Resurrection Day. And uh, our prayer is that there, you can look around and you can see some empty seats. We pray that every seat will be filled and that we have to put out more. Uh, we pray that, that this week you'll be thinking and praying and, and inviting people uh, because this is the time of year when people are most open to coming to church, uh, this and Christmas. And so uh, we, don't, uh, we don't look badly about people about that. We just, we, we just say, yes, this is a great advantage, a great time for me to, um, to introduce Jesus to my friend, whether that be through just an invitation to church or whether it be sharing Jesus and sharing your story and his story with you with them. So pray about that this week. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and uh, it commemorates the beginning of, of the final week of Jesus' ministry here on earth. His final week, sometimes we call it the Passion, um, but it celebrates that that entry into Jerusalem before um, he was arrested and tried and crucified, buried, and then three days later was raised back to life. It's something that we call Palm Sunday, but I believe we call it Palm Sunday because it's harder to say triumphal entry. Um, I know this, it's harder to type it. As I was typing my sermon this week, I was like, man, triumphal. The, the, the letters are just not in the right place. But um, Now, if you've been here for one of my sermons before, <laughs> I love it. This is it. I know you know what's coming. Rose knows what's coming on the second row. <laughs> she couldn't withhold it. She couldn't withhold it. So here it is. I'm the community pastor. I already mentioned it. So I love to get people in discussion. <laughs> Don't worry about that, Rose. <laughs> that was great. So I love to get people talking. I like people talking about their faith because I believe that, that faith is best is best worked out in community and in discussion. And so, if you will, <laughs> that just cracked me up. If you will, get with about three or four people. You don't have to move the chairs or anything, but three or four people. It could be the ones on your row. It could be back in front. If you want to get up, you can and find somebody you don't know, or you can find the people right around you that you know well. But I want you to answer this question. How did your fa- It's easy. How did your family celebrate Easter growing up? How did your family, did they go all out or was it, uh, uh, or did they skip that holiday or what? So get in that group right now. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And talk about that for about two minutes.
we go. All right, so I didn't give you a lot of time, but uh, maybe your family was, was like mine. Every year, Easter was a big deal, only um, I came from a very conservative background, and we didn't call it Easter, we called it Resurrection Sunday, because my dad was a pastor. But every year, we had to go and get, if we didn't get a whole new outfit, um, as kids, we at least had to get a new tie, right? Uh, maybe your family was like me, you had the whole tradition with the Easter egg hunt in the front yard, and you had to get the picture every single year with the new dresses and the new hats. Um, one thing I, I, I wish that, you know, we, we are a multi-ethnic church. We are a church uh, from different backgrounds, diverse backgrounds. One thing I wish I could see on, on Sunday and that I love to see on Easter Sunday as I'm leaving this place and see other churches, particularly of African-American uh, backgrounds, is I love the hats. I miss the hats. <laughs> they are so beautiful. And I, they're works of art, really. Well, maybe, and maybe you're like me. You love those... Uh, so y'all do it. I, I, you know, you have my permission, and, and it'll just throw Wesley completely off. He won't, <laughs> he won't know what to do. Um, <clears throat> maybe you were like me, too. I mean, my favorite thing in the Easter basket was always that chocolate bunny, right? And I always, always, I don't know if it was a sadist, sadistic streak or not, but I always went for those ears first. <laughs> you just got to bite the ears. I love it. Well, I believe that hol- holidays... Actually, that word is holy days. I believe that they are important. And although as as followers of Christ in in the scriptures, we're never commanded to celebrate any particular holy day, I believe that they can be important teaching tools just like today for us. And if you grew up in church, maybe your congregation was one that, that celebrated Holy Week. Maybe you celebrated... Maybe you had a church that had Monday, Thursday. I never knew what that meant. I had to look it up this week. But, it, but it's a celebration of the commemoration of the Last Supper. Or maybe your church had a, a Good Friday service where you came together and you, you focused on the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, most churches do celebrate on that Sunday, the, the Easter Sunday. But we, we celebrate these things every, every single week when we gather around these tables, when we, when we have the bread, which is the body of Christ, and the cup, which is the blood of Christ. We celebrate those things. But I believe that holy days, holidays, are important because they can be teaching tools. They can be useful tools for us to teach each other, to teach our families, to teach the, our neighbors around us about the things of God. And the life of the Jew, both modern and in ancient times, was filled with holy days with special days and it wasn't just the observance of the sabbath that was the common one that one happened every week but god had commanded his people in the bible to observe seven different feasts if you go back and look you'll see seven feasts we're not going to talk about each one i promise but we are going to talk about one of them because it has to do with our story of today and it was the first feast of the year every year in the jewish calendar and it was passover The Feast of Passover is described in Leviticus 23 as beginning on the first first month, the 14th day, the first month of the Jewish calendar. Obviously, it's not the first month of our calendar. But Passover would happen. And Passover was a celebration of salvation. It was a celebration of the deliverance of God's people, the Israelites who were slaves in Egypt, and God delivered them. And each year, the Jew would... Would come, the Jewish people would come together and they would sacrifice and feast on, on lamb and unleavened bread for a week and they would commemorate God's deliverance. And the place to be, the place to be during Passover 
was the capital city, the city of David, Jerusalem. The story that we're going to examine today is about Jesus and his followers. And this is, this is most fitting for Palm Sunday. Jesus and his followers are making their way to Jerusalem, not only to celebrate the Passover, but just as 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, it was so that Jesus could become the Passover lamb, just so that he would be that sacrifice Passover lamb through his death on the cross. Well, before we read this morning's passage, I, I want to point out that this, this account of Jesus is found in all four Gospels. If you know, there are actually four books in the Bible that tell the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And every single one of those tells this story of what we commonly call the triumphal entry. So it must be pretty significant. It must be pretty important. You see, all, all, all four of those books tell the story of Jesus, but they tell different parts. They, they leave out, sometimes they leave out this part or they'll add a part. And the book of John is just totally different than the other three. But, but for some reason, for some reason, and I think we're going to discover it this morning, the writers included this story in all four of the books, and they're covered in detail. Um, you can look on the screen here and, and write down these references and, and maybe this week during your devotional time, read those and, and you can compare them. And, and there may be some confusing things in there. there. There's It looks like some of the things disagree or they don't mesh up. And you've got to understand that, first of all, writing styles in the ancient, ancient times were different. Um, you had people that were writing. You had men who were writing to different audiences and, and sometimes uh, the, the writers would arrange things topically instead of chronologically. You know, we're very chronological people. They would arrange them topically. And, and can, you know, for us modern readers today, we're, we get confused with that. But, but take some time this week and read those four accounts, or the one account by, by four different authors. So there, there's something significant going on. We're going to use Luke 19 as our home base today. So if you have a Bible with you today, turn to Luke 19. We're going to, we're going to look at Dr. Luke's telling of, of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Now, we're going to find Jesus in Jericho. And in Jericho, he had just met a wee little man named Zacchaeus. Right. He had met a tax collector named Zacchaeus. And had that whole encounter, and then right after that, he tells a parable. He tells the parable, what is commonly known as the parable of the talents. Well, now we find Jesus in Luke 19, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, that's after he had told the story of the talents, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, and he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead and found it, just, they found it just as, as it had been told to them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the ground. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. 
Now, the other Gospels, you can take a, a peek and see that they were also shouting other things like Hosanna, like we sang earlier. Hosanna meant God save. Or they were saying, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Now, we're going to talk in a few minutes about what all that signified. But it, it was important stuff for them to be saying. So some of the Pharisees, verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And then Jesus takes a moment and he very accurately predicts what would happen in Jerusalem some 40 years later. He says, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. This was exactly what happened uh, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So let's pray and then let's, let's take this apart. This morning, God, we're grateful for the gospel writers. We're grateful for this story, this true account of of Jesus. We're thankful for what happens here and what we can learn from it. So God, open our eyes, our hearts, and our ears. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you haven't read this passage in a while, or maybe the one from Matthew, Mark, or John, then... Maybe maybe you were fuzzy on your memory about it and you thought, well, you know, this was just like a flash mob that, that kind of came together and was like, hey, this is really cool. They were all caught up in the celebrity of Jesus and, and they start shouting things and Jesus is like, oh, shucks, okay, come on, you know. It was much more than that. It was much more than that. It was it was very significant, and and I think we got to take a close look at this or, or we're going to miss out on some things this morning. So before we take this close look though i got one more for you rose one more one more question would you get in groups of three or four now some of you have come in since then we got in groups of three or four earlier um so find find a little group to discuss this question what's something that you had a high expectation for and then later it disappointed you maybe it was a movie that got all the hype or a book or something like that or, 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 or maybe it was a purchase. It was something that, that you had heard was going to be this, the next biggest, baddest thing, and you bought it and you were disappointed. Or maybe it was that, that girl or guy you had a crush on in middle school. I don't know. So talk about that for a couple minutes, okay? Go.
Here's what I want you to do. Yes. Thank you. You want me to turn on my mic. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. Um, finish those conversations afterwards, okay? Hey, maybe you made a new friend this morning. Take them to lunch. Continue to talk about your disappointments. <laughs> maybe it'll be about today's service. I don't know. Um, but we're going to talk in just a few minutes about why we brought up dashed expectations. But as we investigate what's happening here, I think it's important for us to look at a little bit of history of, of Israel before we go on. You see, Israel had a very sad history. Israel had a very sad history. Um, it was a, a history of a lot of slavery and a lot of being conquered. Well, finally, they had been getting for a few hundred years, some peace. They had been able to be released from their captivity from Babylon, and they were able to be going back home. And then in 63 B.C., all of that ended. The emperor Pompey came in, and he conquered, he conquered Jerusalem. He ousted the Jewish king. And Israel was now working and living under a, a pagan society, a pagan nation, Israel, uh, was was under Rome, and they hated it. They hated Roman rule. In fact, just as Jesus predicted, in, in about 35 years after after his death, there was going to be a rebellion, an uprising of the people, and that ended in 70 A.D. with Jerusalem just being demolished by Rome, and not one stone was left on top of the other, just as Jesus predicted in verses 45. And 43 and 44. So coupled with this constant irritation of being under, under this Roman rule, the Jewish leaders and scholars were constantly talking about prophecies and, and reading these prophecies about something called the Messiah, the Savior. This was their, their hope and their understanding that a Messiah would come and he would be in the family of David, in the lineage of David, their, king, their great king. And whoever he was... He was going to be a great warrior and king, and he was going to come in and kick some Roman tail. <laughs> he, was going to, he was going to eradicate the Romans. And national feasts like the Passover, man, it brought those discussions to fever pitch. This is when it, it got really, really hot and heavy. Passover stirred up attempts at rebellion and revolution, and it kept these Roman troops on edge. A commentator I, I read this week, uh, Paul Butler, said... The Roman procurator always reinforced his troops in Jerusalem at Passover time. Sentries were placed on the roofs of all the great colonnades like Solomon's porch and others. Many of the soldiers, off-duty, roamed the streets and shops of Jerusalem. So don't you know, those Roman soldiers, <laughs> they could hear that roar on, on the hillside as they were coming down. This, they, they look up and they see this mob around this guy and they hear words like, King, and they hear words like Messiah and Son of David, and, whew, and their breathing starts getting a little heavy. Their blood starts racing, and they're they're gripping their spears with all their might, saying, "Uh oh, something's fixing to happen." So, understanding this this precarious political climate of the day, let's take a close look at what's happening here. And as we do, we're going to learn a little bit more about who Jesus is and why he came. And the first thing I want us to look at is that. When Jesus came, when he entered Jerusalem, he contradicted the expectations of the people. 
We know what they wanted. Even, even his closest disciples wanted the same thing. In their minds, Jesus was the one. He was the one that had the courage to, to speak against the religious uh, authority, the, the hypocritical Jewish leaders with strength and knowledge. He was the one that had the power. He had the power to control the wind and the waves and even the power to call people back from the dead. Surely he was the conquering king that they had been waiting for. And so, in their best efforts, they even tried to force him to be king. If you take a look back at John 6, this is right after the the feeding of 5,000 men and their families. Right after this, verse 15 of John 6 says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, he got the heck out of there. He withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So, you see, they were not interested in a king who would rule their hearts. They wanted a king who would eradicate Rome. They wanted a king who would make Israel great again. They wanted a king... They wanted a king who would come and take care of business. And you know what? Even his closest disciples got in on this. They got caught up in the hype. They got caught up. They, they, they had the same expectations as the crowd the same, for the same wrong reasons. And so if you look at the, the triumphal entry in the book of Matthew, it's found in chapter 21. Turn a page back to to. to to chapter 20, and it is unbelievable. Uh, Jesus, Jesus predicts what's about to happen in chapter 20. In, in Matthew 20, 18, he says, We are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. How clear can you get? They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. So what's their response? Was it, was it agonizing grief? Or was it a protective rebuke? No, 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 this shouldn't happen. Sorry to say, nope. Immediately, James and John send their mother to Jesus to ask for a huge favor. <laughs> Verse 21, grant, the mother says, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in the kingdom. <laughs> wow. You talk about thick gold, right? Was it that they were just so wrapped up in their own agenda, their own desire for freedom from Rome, their own hope to get a piece of the royal action that they just could not see or hear what he was saying? Don't you know that they had to be just filled with nervous excitement as they were hearing the crowd say these messianic phrases? They were going, oh, it's about to go down. It is about to happen. Things are about to get serious. This is what we've been waiting for. Let's go. Come on, Jesus. Go, 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 go. And so here comes Jesus. <laughs> Not riding on a war horse, <laughs> but on a stubborn, young pack animal. Hail to the chief, not in an armored stretch limo, but in one of those little putt, 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 little smart cars (laughs) riding down the road, not surrounded by warriors or an army or, or 
but he's surrounded by a gaggle of fishermen and prostitutes and beggars and tax collectors and sinners. The book of Matthew even points out that he came gentle and riding on a donkey. Gentle. Gentle. Well, maybe people could overlook his transportation. Maybe they could even overlook his ragtag posse. (laughs) But I'm sure they started to wonder when Jesus reaches the crest of the hill and he's overlooking Jerusalem and he starts to cry. He starts to cry. And we're not talking about that little trickle tear. Like, remember, old people with me, um, that, that 70s commercial, that uh, Native American who, you know. It wasn't that. The, the Greek word is eklosin. And eklosin meant a deep sob that, that, that was, was causing his body to heave. It was a wail. He was, he was crying as deeply as he, as he possibly could because he was, he was so hurt internally. That's not very dignified for a king. But they marched on with him. Maybe he just needed to get that off his chest before he came in and whooped um, Roman tail. Maybe he just needed to get that over with. But then I want you to see how the book of Mark ends the scene. You're going to love this. Mark 11, 11 ends the scene this way. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. And he looked around at everything. But since it was late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The end. (laughs) That's it. Jesus, come on. You've got to be kidding me. That's all you're going to do? Look around and leave? That's not such a letdown. Now, you can read some of the other Gospels, and you know that the next day, excitement did happen. Jesus went back to the temple, and he starts knocking tables over. But wait a minute, Jesus. You're, you're focusing on the wrong thing. You're focusing on the... You're supposed to be dealing with those Roman you-know-whats, not, not messing with us in our temple. If Jesus had been the militant Messiah that people wanted, he would have brought an army with him and, and attacked the Roman fortress. Instead, he leveled his anger not at the, the Roman pagans, but he had anger towards his own people because they had gone astray. Instead of driving the Romans out, he goes into the temple and he overturns tables. He knew that the problem was not with the government, that the problem was with his own people. You see, Jesus is saying to the crowd as he rides in on this donkey, I am king, but I'm not king like you think I am. You see, Jesus was not only contradicting their expectations, but he was also controlling the whole experience. If you glance back at the beginning of today's passage in in Luke 19, verses 28 through 30, you'll see. who, Who was it that initiated all of this? Who started it all? It was Jesus. Think about it. Nowhere else in the scripture is it ever mentioned that Jesus rode anywhere. So why is he riding now? Two miles out. And two miles back then was, I mean, for us, we're like, I can't breathe. But back then, that's all they did was walk. You know, that was nothing. Why why does he got to ride? Why now? Why here? Well, Matthew tells us why. If you look at the Matthew account, 
In verse 4, it says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus knew that any kid that had paid attention in synagogue school way back then would remember the pro- this prophecy right here from Zechariah 9. He knew that a king on a donkey might even trigger a, mem- uh, a-, a remembrance of of the story of King Solomon back in 1 Kings as he rode on a donkey. But this wasn't just Jesus manipulating and saying, hey, look, look, you know, get the idea, get the idea. The gospel writers want to make it clear to us that Jesus had supernatural control over the situation. He knew exactly where that donkey would be. He knew where it was going to be tied up. He knew who the owners were. He told the disciples to, to, to ask them exactly what they asked him because he knew that they would respond in the way they responded. This was something only God would know. And then notice back in Luke 19, verses 39 and 40, what it says here. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, now why, why would they say this? Think about it. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. This is after the disciples have been saying, Blessed is the son of David, uh, our coming king, and all this. Why would they say that? And then Jesus responds, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Let me point this out. This was not the usual response from Jesus. What was his usual response? Do you remember? Whenever anybody ever mentioned the word Messiah or king or you're the Messiah around him, What did he say? Keep quiet. Don't tell anybody. In fact, in Peter's greatest moment, this is Peter's, before Jesus died and rose again, Peter's greatest moment was, was when he made this confession in Mark 16, when he declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And how does Jesus respond in verse 20? He says, he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So what's the deal? Why the the previous secrecy, and then now why is he allowing it to be just yelled all over the hills of, of Judea? The one who hushed the storm could certainly hush that crowd, right? He could have done it just like that. But why is he allowing it? Well, here's the answer. Jesus knew what this pro proclamation would set into motion he knew that at the end of the week the shouts of hosanna and blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord would be be replaced with crucify and kill the criminal and he knew it was time jesus knew that accepting the claims of this crowd would mean charges of blasphemy from the jewish leaders and charges of insurrection from the roman officials it was a death sentence a death sentence that he himself had predicted. It was a destiny that was planned before the creation of the world. Revelation 13.8 says it. It says it describes Jesus as the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. This may boggle your mind, but God knew before he created those people that would be waving palm branches, that they would fail him, that they would sin, that they would fall short of his glory. He knew that they would need a savior. And he had a plan from the creation of the world. The plan was Jesus. And they were missing it. Isn't it frustrating when you, when you want to share something 
with someone and, and, and they're not accepting it right. Maybe, maybe you're just sharing a, a meaningful story with somebody and they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, 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 you know. Just, okay, just talk to whoever you're talking to. Don't, don't you know, pretend you're listening to me, right? It reminds me of back when J.D. was a kid. He's not here to defend himself this morning. I'm sorry. J.D. is my son, and we, he gets brought up a lot in our end sermons. You know, he's an only child, so, you know, that comes along with the territory. Sorry, J.D., if you listen to this. That boy, when he was a kid, loved his Game Boy. He loved it. And sometimes we loved it, too, because it kept him occupied. But there were times when I absolutely hated that thing. A lot of times it would be when we were going on a trip. Maybe we were on vacation. And we'd see something really cool and we'd go, Hey, J.D., J.D., look, 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 look. And he'd go, Hold on, just a minute, just a minute. I'm, I'm almost through this level. I'm almost through this level. <laughs> what? 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 J.D., you missed it. You missed it. I'm so sorry. You missed it. I hated it because I wanted to share something extraordinary with my son. And he was distracted by something ordinary. This is what made Jesus weep. They were missing it. Look back again at the end of the passage and see if you can feel the pain of, of, of Jesus, feel what he was feeling. In verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, now it, it, it's hidden from your eyes. They were blinded. Along with the shouts of Hosanna, the people had been shouting for peace. Give us peace, peace in the heavens. But the peace they wanted was external. It was governmental. It was forced. But God was there in the flesh to offer them peace that was internal, that was eternal. Peace with himself. They wanted an end to the slavery of Rome. And Jesus was there to offer them an end to the slavery to sin. They wanted a Messiah to crush their enemies. And Jesus was there to offer reconciliation to God. And so he cries, you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So Jesus controlled the situation, he did not, but he did not control the crowd. He didn't control the crowd. He respected the free will of people. Instead, his presence, his very presence, commanded a response. It commanded a choice from people. The choice was a stark one. It was crown me or kill me. This donkey ride was a declaration. I want to be Lord of your life. Either you love me and surrender or reject me and kill me. And in the end, all of them, all of them, even his closest friends rejected him. Either they rejected him straight out with betrayal like Judas or denial like Peter or through silence and fear like the rest of his followers. And you know, this is a choice we all face. The kingdom of, of Jesus is confrontational. Charles Spurgeon wrote, If Christ is not all to you, he is nothing to you. He will never go into partnership as a part savior of men. If he be something, he must be everything. And if he be not everything, he is nothing to you. 
You may come to him with expectations or requests. You may say, God, Jesus, help me, help me, inspire me, and, and, and be my consultant, be my partner. And Jesus says, oh, yes, I can be more than that. I can be your shepherd. I can be your guide. I can be your friend. But I won't be none of those if I can't be your king. The entire message of the triumphal entry is coming to each one of us today. Maybe today there's situations where Jesus has not fulfilled your expectations. <laughs> he hasn't brought you the right spouse. Or your, your marriage isn't working in the way that you thought it should. Maybe you were passed over for a promotion that you deserved. Maybe illness or tragedy has struck. And the temptation is to bail out. The temptation is to bail out of your faith and do the thing your own way. It's, it's go ahead and, and, and marry that person that's not a follower of God. Go ahead and, and, and leave your spouse. Go ahead and grow in resentment to your boss. You give up confidence in Jesus and you just no longer trust him. When Jesus doesn't live up to our expectations, then we just dump him. And we do things the, the way we think they should be done. But Jesus is saying to you and to me today, crown me or kill me. I recently heard Tim Keller preach a sermon in which he said, Jesus will not be liked. Jesus will not be liked. In other words, there's no in-between with Jesus. We either love him and surrender to him or we hate him and we reject him. So today, Jesus wants to be your Lord and your King. But he comes gentle. He does not come by force. He waits for you to make the invitation. He wants you to surrender. And the question is, can you do that? It begins with, with a couple of admissions. The, the first admission, first step is, you've got to realize... I am the problem. You are the problem. You yourself. I myself am the problem. It's not my external circumstance. It's not my family of origin. It's not my, my friends. It's not my upbringing. It is me. I am the problem. I am a sinner. I've done things that are outside of God's will. And because of that, I need a Savior. Hosanna. Save now. I need a Savior. I need Jesus to save me from my sin and the eternal consequences of it. And I need Jesus to save me from myself. And the second admission that, that, that we need to make as, as we are coming to him as Lord is, I cannot save myself. I can't do this by myself. The people of Israel, people of Israel wanted salvation through force. They wanted it through might and strength. This is what religion says, by the way. This is what religion says. It says, if I can just get my act together, if I can just do enough good things, if I can just be a good boy... <laughs> then God will accept me. And there's two problems with that. One, I cannot erase my past. I can't eradicate the things that I've done wrong in my past. And two, it just ain't going to happen. <laughs> I just can't get my act together. It's impossible. And without the, the power of the Holy Spirit and, and Him cleansing me, I, I, I don't have a prayer. So if you're willing to make those two admissions, then Jesus is calling you to surrender to him as both Savior and as Lord and King. That means we turn away. We turn away. We repent of our old selves. We say, I'm not holding on to that anymore. 
I want to turn away. The Bible calls us to repentance, to a sorrow for sin. And then we ask for forgiveness for that sin in in conjunction with repentance. We say, God, forgive me. You, You alone can forgive me. You alone. And then we believe that he alone can save us. And we ask him to save us. And then we obey him. We obey him in baptism. We obey him by being buried with Christ in water and raised to walk in a new life. The people of Jesus were willing to make him king. The people in Jesus' day were willing to make him king for a day. (laughs) But only on their terms. But he is calling you to make him king for a lifetime, for eternity. He's saying to you, look up. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. I'm here. Believe in me. Turn from your past. Be baptized in the waters of repentance. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. So we're going to sing a song. Praise team, come on up. I'm going to pray in a second, but you can go ahead and come on up. We'll sing a song. And, um, you know, if you've been to a traditional church, they have a thing called the invitation. And, um, you know, you come forward. Um, We do it a little differently here. We have a, a thing called the next steps table. I'm going to ask my wife if she would just to, get, to step over to that next steps table. Adam is not in here today. Um, but if you, if you want to talk more about making Jesus Lord, making Jesus king of your life, um, she would love to talk to you. We'll pray with you. And uh, it, can, it can happen today. But we'll sing this song. This song is, uh, which, which song are we singing? I forget. Inside Out. I, I, I was like, I'm going to remember it. I, I meant to write it on my paper. From the inside out, because that's where it starts. They wanted to start from the outside in. You know, God, fix my problems, fix my problems, and then everything will, will fall into place, right? But he's calling us from the inside out to make him Lord. Inside out. And then all these other things we can worry about, right? Amen. So let's pray. We'll stand. We'll sing. And um, if you... I, I'll be up here. My wife will be back there. If you, if you have a decision to make, then uh, we'd love to talk to you about it. Let's pray. God, we just thank you. We thank you for this time where you not only give us the first chance, you give us the second and third chance, and you give us opportunities to make you king and Lord of our lives. But God, you do it as a gentleman. You do it gently. You don't come in by force and say you will bow. But God, there will come a day and a time when that will happen. And so we just ask, Lord, that um, if there are those that are here this morning that need to make that decision while the decision can be made, we pray that they will do that. Thank you for the Messiah. Thank you for the Passover lamb. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.